48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. The wording of one of the national security crimes in Beijing's draft raises concerns. Beijing slams a G7 statement on the security law. And a former senior Trump official drops a bombshell by claiming he sought China's help to get re-elected. The wording of one of the, offen- of the offences in the draft national security legislation has raised concerns in Hong Kong. Beijing has drafted its security law for the SAR, setting out the definition of crimes and punishments that go with them, and the National People's Congress Standing Committee will review the draft during its meeting in the capital over the next few days. On foreign interference, the bill would cover collusion with foreign forces. Previously, it was believed that the law would outlaw the intervention of foreign forces in Hong Kong affairs. Civic Party legislator Dennis Kwok said including collusion in the draft means the law not only targets foreign forces, but Hong Kong people as well. It would uh, mean that the basic freedoms and rights of the Hong Kong people would be severely undercut and restrained by this national security law. So at the end, this national security law is not really about national security but really about silencing opposition in Hong Kong. And that is our worst fears and biggest fear. The pro-government camp played down these concerns. DAB lawmaker Holden Chow also rejected suggestions that Beijing is taking a piecemeal approach in revealing the content of the law. This is their procedure to legislate for this piece of national security law. And I trust that the purpose of doing this, the purpose of enacting this piece of national security law is to protect the safety of Hong Kong people. So, and, and, I, and also I trust that this piece of law only targets few individuals who engage in sort of terrorism or secession or treason. It's only few individuals who should worry. China says G7 countries should stop interfering in Hong Kong affairs after they called on Beijing to reconsider its plan to impose a national security law here. As Vicky Wong reports, the issue was high on the agenda in talks between the top Chinese and American diplomats. The meeting between Yang Jiechi, Director of the Office of Foreign Affairs, and U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo at an Air Force base in Hawaii lasted for several hours. Mr. Yang said China is determined to put in place national security legislation in Hong Kong. He also made it clear Beijing is against U.S. interference in the city's affairs, as well as the joint statement by G7 foreign ministers. That statement voiced concern about the decision to impose the security law on the SAR, saying it would breach the basic law and Beijing's international commitments. G7 countries also said the new law would, as they put it, jeopardize the system which has allowed Hong Kong to flourish and made it a success over many years. According to the statement, open debate, consultation with stakeholders and respect for protected rights and freedoms in Hong Kong are essential. In Beijing, a foreign ministry spokesman also said the country expressed strong indignation towards the G7 stance. The former U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton has dropped a bombshell by claiming in his new book that President Trump sought his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping's help to try to win re-election and also approved of Beijing's plan to build detention camps in Xinjiang. China analyst Mike O'Neill told RTHK what he thinks of Mr Bolton's claims. A lot of what appears in the book is, is actually a state secret. I mean, these are conversations between Trump and foreign leaders, which, you know, in most countries are considered, considered as a state secret. So it proves to us that he was present at these very high-level exchanges. Um, now, of course, Bolton has an axe to grind. He wants to show that he shouldn't have been fired, that he was smarter than Trump. So, of course, he has his own agenda. But, I, I, yeah, I, I find the book convincing. 
you have your president asking a foreign president to assist you uh, and, and win his re-election. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Responding to Mr Bolton's accusations, the US president called his book pure fiction. Election officials have rejected calls from the government and pro-Beijing parties to give elderly people and others with special requirements priority when it comes to voting in September's Allegco polls. The Electoral Affairs Commission says for the sake of fairness and equality, every voter will have to queue up as normal. But like in last November's district council elections, the elderly, disabled people and pregnant women will be offered seats as they wait to vote. DAB Chairwoman Starry Lee criticised election officials for not heeding the call. They ignore what happened last year, where we all understand that there are a lot of criticism about the arrangement of the election, but I can't see they respond to any of this. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The Education Bureau says all primary and secondary schools must display the national flag and play the national anthem on New Year's Day, the July 1st handover anniversary and National Day. Schools are also advised to do so on important days and special occasions, such as the first day of a school year, open day and graduation ceremony. In a statement issued by the Education Bureau, a spokesperson said because the national anthem law has now come into effect, the government will provide clear guidelines on how students should behave when playing and singing the national anthem, such as observing the proper etiquette. The EDB has also provided schools with curriculum support to help students better understand the history and spirit of the national flag and anthem. Almost nine out of ten journalists believe the imminent national security law will seriously affect press freedom in Hong Kong. That's according to a survey by the Journalists Association. Some say they're so worried about it, they're thinking about quitting the industry. And many expect self-censorship to worsen. The association's chairman, Chris Young, says the scope of the law is so wide that it will affect the day-to-day -day operations of the media and put journalists' personal safety at risk. Issues like, say, calls for the British government to, say, give the right of residence to Hong Kong residents in case Hong Kong people need it. Will it be considered as a case of, say, inviting foreign interference in Hong Kong affairs? And if media do stories about that, will that be seen as spreading or inciting those crimes? So reporters who do those stories or editors who publish those stories could be liable. The Commerce and Economic Development Bureau says it's disappointed with the U.S. Justice Department's recommendation for a high-capacity undersea data cable system to bypass Hong Kong. Priscilla Ng reports. U.S. officials said the Pacific Light Cable Network, pending approval by the Federal Communications Commission, should connect the U.S., Taiwan and the Philippines as planned, but not go through Hong Kong. Google, Facebook and other parties first proposed the sprawling underseas network of fiber optic cables three years ago, aimed at fast-tracking Internet data traffic around the world. But U.S. Justice Department officials claimed the proposed Hong Kong landing station would expose U.S. communications traffic to collection by Beijing, especially in light of what they see as the central government's recent actions to remove Hong Kong's autonomy. 
In response, the Commerce and Economic Development Bureau here said the concerns raised by Washington are unfounded, saying the SAR's robust legal system offers strong protection to privacy rights under one country, two systems. It added that the recommendation not only hinders the telecommunications development between Hong Kong and the U.S., it also harms the interests of American businesses. Turning now to COVID-19, the chief executive of the hospital authority, Tony Ko, says public hospitals are gearing up for a potential surge in cases. Dr Ko said Hong Kong could face a second wave of infections before or during the winter season. He says hospitals are upgrading their isolation facilities. We need to um, do the different maintenance works about the hardware cell as well as all the uh, mechanical arrangement. We hope to take this opportunity to upgrade some of the systems. Because as we know, um, some of the isolation facilities were built uh, after the period of SARS, which means that some of them are already more than 10 years of different functions. We are also working hard to uh, improve our uh, testing capability uh, to test patients who have the potential risk of uh, being infected with the COVID-19 virus. With the catering sector hit hard by COVID-19, a campaign has been launched to encourage people to spend at least some of their $10,000 cash handout at local restaurants. Catering sector lawmaker Tommy Chung says he's come up with a scheme to encourage people to dine out by offering them what he calls generous discounts over the summer. He says over a 1,000 eateries have already agreed to take part. We will start this program on the 15th of July. Uh, for the month of July, it's uh, 30% discount. And for the month of August, it's 20%. Uh, as long as they agree to this requirement, we welcome them to join in this promotion. The Bank of England has decided to pump an additional 125 billion US dollars into the financial system in response to what it calls the unprecedented situation caused by the coronavirus pandemic. The bank will create new money to buy British government bonds and expansion of its policy known as quantitative easing. The BBC's Andrew Walker reports. The Bank of England's main policy-making committee described the economic outlook for Britain and the world as unusually uncertain. It would depend critically on the evolution of the pandemic, steps taken to contain it and the response of households and businesses. The committee noted the massive decline, 20% in economic activity in Britain, recently reported for April. It said there were subsequent signs of recovery, but nonetheless decided to increase its purchases of government bonds, a move which tends to push down interest rates across the economy and can encourage people to spend more. The economic crisis partly reflects people choosing to cut back spending and firms reducing investment. The top court in the European Union has ruled that Hungary broke European law by restricting foreign funding of civil organisations. The European Court of Justice said the restrictions discriminated against both the NGOs involved and the donors. The BBC's Nick Thorpe reports from Budapest. The Court of Justice of the European Union ruled that the 2017 Hungarian law on the funding of non-governmental organisations from abroad violated both fundamental rights and the free movement of capital. Viktor Orban's Fidesz government argued that it was necessary to make the work of foreign-funded NGOs more transparent. The NGOs replied that they were far more transparent than government-backed associations and that the law was designed to punish those in Hungary who stand up for human rights. 
Sports now, Manchester City breezed past Arsenal 3-0 as the English Premier League resumed. Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne and Phil Foden were the goal scorers for Pep Guardiola's side. The City boss says many people deserve the credit for organising a safe resumption of the season. We feel safe, so I think the Premier League has done an incredible job and all the people workers here in Manchester City, you cannot imagine a uh, few people work a lot for a lot of people. And uh, yeah, we feel safe, just... It's weird, so we miss a lot uh, the people. Playing football without, uh, you know, without people is, is strange. So, of course, we have to do it right now because the government say, the, the NHS and the people, the scientists say we can do it. But in the same time, you have to be careful because I have the feeling the virus is, the virus is still here and we cannot relax and, and just be careful. And But we are protect. We are tested twice a week. All we can do to, to be protected. City's winning return means Liverpool remain two wins away from wrapping up the league title of their away to Everton this weekend before hosting Crystal Palace next Wednesday. Napoli have captured their sixth Italian Cup. They built, beat Juventus on penalties following a nil-all draw. The game went straight to a shootout without extra time being played. Akadish Milik converted the decisive spot kick for Napoli after Paula Dybala and Danilo both missed for Juventus. The match took place behind closed doors at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. Tennis and Serena Williams has added some star power to this year's US Open by saying she's committed to playing behind closed doors in New York when the tournament starts on August the 31st. It's going to be exciting. Um, it's been over six months since a lot of us have played professional tennis, so I'll certainly miss the fans. Don't get me wrong, just being out there in that New York crowd and hear everyone cheer. Like, I really miss that and getting me through some of those tough matches. New York's been a hot spot for coronavirus, and big players such as Simona Halep and Novak Djokovic have voiced concerns. The singer Vera Lynn, whose songs came to symbolise Britain's spirit in the Second World War, has died. She was 103. Lynn was best known for her performances of We'll Meet Again and The White Cliffs of Dover. The BBC's Vincent Dowd looks back at her life. There'll be blue birds over the white cliffs of Dover tomorrow. The voice of Vera Lynn, born Vera Welsh in the East End of London, became a symbol of home and safety for millions of people in the Second World War. There was a natural warmth and sincerity. From 1941, she had a show on BBC Radio for the troops called Sincerely Yours, Vera Lynn. We'll meet again, don't know where. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. The wording of one of the national security crimes in Beijing's draft raises concerns. Beijing slams a G7 statement on the security law. And a former senior Trump official drops a bombshell by claiming he sought China's help to get re-elected. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's news wrap programme. Election officials have rejected calls from the government and pro-Beijing parties to give elderly people and others with special requirements priority when it comes to voting in September's LegCo polls. 
The Electoral Affairs Commission says, for the sake of fairness and equality, every voter will have to queue up like normal in the upcoming polls. Professor Kenneth Chan runs an election observation project at Baptist University's Comparative Governance and Policy Research Centre. Ben Che asked him what he thought of the Commission's decision. I think at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's really common sense. Um, people in Hong Kong uh, perceive this election to be fair, honest, and um, one person one vote on equal footing. So it's been very difficult for anybody to argue against it by giving a certain group of people the priority to vote above all others. Mm. What the EEC has done is to strike a balance so that we will still keep the first-come, first-served principle, while at the same time for the needy people, not just the elderly, but also pregnant women, people with needs and so on, to be seated somewhere near the polling station. So I think they have done it right. And I believe that most people in Hong Kong will appreciate that, so that at least perception-wise, this election, at this particular aspect, uh, would still be regarded as fair. Okay. Well, what kind of difference would it actually make if elderly and other needy people were given priority to vote? I think a lot of people would feel a little um, uptight about this idea that someone would be um, jumping the queue, so to speak, jump the line, so to speak. And um, it's, um, it's against a, a very, um, you know, um, traditional practice, conventional practice, so to speak. And um, what the EAC has proposed today is nothing really unprecedented because uh, they did it already for the 2019 District Council election. It did seem to work quite well for all the parties concerned. So I think this is, um, this is the right balance, as they say. But of course, a lot of people in Hong Kong, myself included, have other issues in mind regarding um, electoral integrity, such as whether or not the district officers would exercise the power to disqualify candidates um, who might not be acceptable to Beijing. So there are bigger issues. Mm. Okay, the EAC also says it could remove people who shout while observing the counting of votes. Do you think that this is fair? Um, depending on the actual conduct, I would say. Mm. Uh, my project has put forward a suggestion to, um, um, to um, at least issue a clear set of guidelines or code of conduct for everybody attending um, the vote counting procedures. So, well, I don't know what, what, we, what we mean by being, being, being sort of... Um, unruly mm. and uh, difficult uh, during the vote counting process, but the existing guidelines actually uh, has uh, given the uh, polling officers adequate power to sort of put the counting uh, to a stop or suspend it for a while in order to restore order. Um, so I hope that the EAC will in the meantime produce uh, clearer guidelines and not just giving order discretionary powers to the polling officers. The White House has launched last-minute legal action to stop the publication next week of a new book written by President Trump's former national security adviser, John Bolton. It includes the allegation that Mr Trump pleaded with President Xi Jinping to help him win re-election. Anna-Marie Evans asked China analyst Mark O'Neill what he makes of the revelations. Yeah, I, I find it very credible. Um... He describes policy on China as badly fractured because within uh, Trump's cabinet over the last four years, there have been people who favor a very dovish uh, policy, uh, economic growth, economic ties. On the other side, we have Peter Navarro and Bolton himself, who are extremely hawkish and anti-China. And he also describes the China policy as completely chaotic. 
And I think that's a good description, because if, if we look at the last four years, the, the policy has gone up and down, left and right, and, and it must be mystifying for officials in Beijing to try to follow what U.S. policy is, because it changes all the time, because it seems to depend on who Mr. Trump is listening to that day. Yeah, he describes him as wacko. John Bolton's exceedingly tedious book is made of lies and fake stories. But you reckon there's something in it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, uh, Bolton is um, ideologically close to Trump. He's a right wing. He's an anti-China person. So the two men should have a lot in common. Um, Bolton himself is extremely experienced. He's a foreign policy expert. Um, a lot of what appears in the book is, is actually a state secret. I mean, these are conversations between Trump and foreign leaders, which, you know, in most countries are considered, considered as a state secret. So it proves to us that he was present at these very high-level exchanges. Um, now, of course, Bolton has an axe to grind. He wants to show that he shouldn't have been fired, that he was smarter than Trump. So, of course, he has his own agenda. But, I, I, yeah, I find the book uh, uh, convincing. Now, it says U.S. President Donald Trump sought help from President Xi Jinping to win re-election. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, there are many astonishing things in the book, and that probably is the most astonishing. And there they are. They're sitting at Osaka. It's uh, June uh, 2019. There are many extremely important matters to discuss. And it's Trump himself who raises this issue out of the blue. And he says, could uh, Mr. C use China's great economic power to buy more goods from farm states to ensure that in the election this year, the voters in those states will vote for him? And, uh, you know, this, this story has appeared in, in the American press and, of course, has provoked absolute outrage because you, you have your president asking a foreign president to assist you uh, and, and win his re-election. I mean, it's... It's unbelievable. Now, it's, uh, you know, the fact that Donald Trump is saying that he broke the law, as in Bolton broke the law, how true is that? Well, uh, the case of the White House is that uh, John Bolton signed a non-disclosure agreement, which I'm sure he did when he enters the White House, because you will be privy to many uh, secret meetings, you'll read uh, secret documents and so on. And they are saying that he has, he has broken this agreement and he has published the book without getting approval in advance from the White House. So they have a case. Now, my understanding of the, the, the law on this in America is the court puts a very high bar on this. So uh, the White House could win the case, but uh, Bolton has a strong case too in, in that this is in the public interest and it's the freedom, it's freedom of speech. So um, I think Bolton has decided to take the risk. And obviously, this is going to be a bestseller. He's going to make huge amounts of money. So even if he loses, um, he'll have plenty of money to pay the, the legal bills. Now, I mean, we've got John Bolton having a go. The other day, it was Trump's niece. Uh, do we expect more ahead of November? Well, I mean, there'll be even more after November. I mean, if Trump loses, which seems now the most likely, then he's no longer president. He's just a past president. So I would expect people who are in the administration now, um, they, of course, when they go home in the evenings, they, they write a diary or they type it into the computer, and they will have a lot of stories. So I think especially if he loses, we will have a lot more. And we thought, we knew, we understood Trump. You know, there was nothing more to say about him. <laughs> but this book shows that we're wrong.
wrong and you know he, he can surprise and shock you all the time so yes I think we can expect many more such books after a three-month ban, live music is finally returning to local bars and restaurants. The anti-epidemic measure will officially be lifted at midnight. And for many musicians, this reopening could not have come sooner. Many have been struggling to make ends meet with their primary source of income completely cut off. And as Candace Wong reports, some say the government hasn't done enough to help them. All pirates, yes, My name is uh, Ashlan, Ashlino. I was born in Togo. I came to Hong Kong. It's been a couple of years already, and it's music that brought me here. Ashlan is performing for the first time in months just for RTHK. He's not been on stage since bars hosting live performances were closed on April the 3rd after authorities determined that the coronavirus was being spread via live performances at bars. For the first time, they said just two weeks, and then we say, okay, two weeks, it's, it's okay. Uh, we, can, we can handle it, no problem. And later on, another two weeks, later on, another two weeks, two weeks, and then finally, we don't know where we are going. But we are starving like that. We are really, really starving. He used to play five days a week. Then all of a sudden, his income was completely cut off. It's a problem faced by many musicians, including bassist Mike Carr, who plays at the same venue. My last performance was on March 23rd, and we're up to June now and uh, it has not been easy. I mean, music's all I do. It is my sole source of income. My sole source of income is derived from live performance. Every penny I've ever put away, every little piece of cushion that I've been able to accumulate is rapidly disappearing at the most alarming rate. Many freelance musicians like Mike say they have been unable to reap any benefit from two rounds of government relief measures. They don't qualify because they don't have the right MPF account to be eligible. I feel a bit left out. There's been a lot of uh, wonderful actions that the local government here has done to take care of industries. I don't for a minute think that we fit in in the, the, the large scale of things. Mike and Ashlan have the same manager, Neil, who is himself a drummer, and he's in the same boat as the musicians he manages. The way that that was structured, or that the second rollout, we still weren't eligible just to get even, and it was only a one-off payment anyway, 7,500, which wouldn't even pay one month's rent. So we have a situation where musicians have not a cent for three months. The government explained that it only allows freelance workers to get the one-off handout only if they have a specific type of MPF account because they've found that more than 200,000 people are eligible. But since Neil isn't, he gets nothing. There's been two rollouts of relief money. In the first rollout, they gave some to the uh, Arts Development Council. 
but that didn't find its way to us. The council says it did hand out funds to freelance musicians, but only those who played at what it calls commonly used legitimate arts venues, not including bars and restaurants. Council member Adrian Chow concedes that's not an ideal arrangement. Under the ADC support scheme, yes, they are somehow excluded. And uh, I think there are two reasons, one, one of which is uh, the amount of money that we get from the HAB, from the government. We only give uh, $50 million and we have so many arts groups and arts freelance arts practitioners to support. And secondly, I think the idea of ADC is always support non-commercial kind of uh, artworks because I think the general idea is that uh, for more commercial entertainment kind of work, they can be self-sustained in normal circumstances. Mr Chow says he knows many musicians are at the end of their tether and thinks the government should have been more generous. Covid is a very exceptional circumstances and everyone is being affected. So I think the government should expand the scheme. I have no complaint about them leaving if they feel fed up and I'm so sorry that Hong Kong cannot provide them with a decent environment for them to, to go on. It's even sad, uh, more sad, that the government can't see them. I do not know how to do anything else than my main job, like music. But uh, what can we do if a situation happens, we need to change our mind. But it's not easy though. Those who have this music root, and that is flowing in their blood as the real artist, the real musician. Music is in their blood. Then whatever happened, they will be doing it until they die. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Sean Kennedy from our newsroom. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, take preventive measures when commuting. Avoid rush hours and busy times and take advantage of flexible working hours. Wear a mask when taking a ride. If possible, open the windows to ventilate the vehicle. Clean your hands with liquid soap and water or alcohol-based hand rub after using public transport or touching public facilities. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to special program because it's the music we love music we could dance to music we could make love to it certainly is a lovely way to spend an evening
think of Mantovani, a lovely way to spend an evening. All right, Jim. It is your cue to sing. Welcome to my world. Won't you come on in? 